Okay, for years in the Fesco home, uh, fairness has always been a big deal. As many of you know, my wife Tracy and I, we have two boys. One of them is here with me today. Uh, the other one is, is with the, the youth group. And uh, as long as I can remember, that's not fair. That's not fair has both been a, um, uh, has been a mantra for both of them. There seems to be this expectation that if I give something to one of my sons, the other feels they deserve something of equal or greater value sometimes. I'm not sure where they got this from. Well, I think I know where they got it. They got it from their mother. That's where they got it from. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, can't, I can't make her take all the blame uh, for that. Uh, I know I contribute to that, too. We just had Christmas, for instance. We just celebrated Christmas along with a, a lot of you, I'm sure. And, and, uh, and we gave gifts to our kids to no surprise. And, and uh, you know what we did? Yes. We made every effort to make sure that they received presents totaling the same value. <laughs> you know, we couldn't, we couldn't let that be imbalanced. So mystery solved. That's where the that's not fair comes from, their parents. Okay, so why do we do that? Well, if I'm being honest with you, if I'm being honest with you, I, I think there's probably something in the back of our heads that says, well, if we give one child better presents than the other, the child who received the lesser presents is going to think, well, I'm not loved as much. You know, and I think that swirls around in the back of our of our minds, and and uh, and again, I, I don't know if that's right or wrong, <laughs> and I I, I I don't know. I think it could be a lesson for another day. I guess what I'm trying to emphasize here is is that we have this mentality ingrained in us, and uh, really in most of us, I'd say, and and that thinks that fairness fairness is a right, that fairness is a right, and again. That's probably a bigger discussion for another day. It's even uh, seeped into our political conversations, and, and I promise you we won't solve that in 30 minutes. But, but here's a quote. Uh, I thought it was funny this morning. Scott quoted on a TV show, and he said, I'm not going to tell you which one because I don't want you to think I endorse it. Same thing here. I saw this show, and I heard this quote on the show that really grabbed me. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is because, again, I don't want to make it seem like I'm endorsing it. But uh, it, the... The scenario was one of the characters was about to go to prison for a very long and perhaps unreasonable amount of time. And because the courts wanted to make an example out of this person, uh, it seemed all the more unfair. And that's what the character said here. The character said, that's not fair. That's not fair. And then the main character says this, and it really resonated with me. Uh, Listen to this. He said, next, here we go. Let me tell you what fair means. Fair means one side got exactly what they wanted in a way that the other side can't complain about. There's no such thing as fair, is what he said. And that, again, that really resonated with me. And because what what this is saying, what this quote is saying is, is that somehow, the way we think about fairness, that there's a scenario where everything works out and everything is good for both sides, for both parties, right? That... Yeah, uh, one, one person got exactly what they wanted and the other party was just okay, was, was great. This, okay, great, Everything, everything's fair now. How often does that work out? How often does it work out like, okay, it's all equal now and now we're all happy. Now think about where we're headed today. I gave you a, an email yesterday for those of you on our list to tell you where we're headed. We're, we're gonna talk about this, this idea of turning the other cheek. And the idea of turning the other cheek somehow, we, we've, we've, we've tied that to fairness because we don't want to turn the other cheek sometimes. If someone hits me, I feel like, well, I should hit them back. Again, think about fairness here. If someone hits me and I hit them back, 
Now everyone's happy? Now everyone's okay with the outcome? Never in the history of humanity is that how it works. That's not how it works, okay? So again, we're in this new series starting today called The Hard Sayings of the Bible. And the first saying that we're going to go look at strikes at the heart of this idea of of fairness. And here's the verse we're going to look at. Again, it comes from Luke 6, which says this. So, yeah, feel free to look up here or follow along in your Bibles. Uh, but this is Luke six twenty nine, and we're going to look at uh, uh, this in a little bit more. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Why, Why does this verse bother us? And some of you are like, doesn't bother me? I get it. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Good for you, all right? Why is this a hard saying? Why is this hard for so many? Because, because if someone strikes us on the, the cheek, someone strikes us on the cheek, what's our immediate response? What's our, what's our natural inclination? To hit them back, right? To hit them back, all right? Uh, now, I know many of you good Bible-believing Christians, you, know, you get it. <laughs> you get it, and you answer like, oh, I turn the other cheek if someone hits me. Good job, all right? Well, I get it, but, but again... Does that mean, tell me you've never thought of that, about this when you looked at this verse. Does that mean we can, we can never hit back? Does that mean we can never defend ourselves? Does that mean we're just to be doormats for everyone that comes along and, and hits us on the cheek? Is that what this is saying? Okay. It's always important to try and bring some context into our answer. Okay. Jesus is speaking here. And he's just detailed the Beatitudes for us, which is, a, which is a, a canvas of paradoxes. The poor will inherit the kingdom. The hungry will be satisfied. Those who weep will laugh. And then he, then he does it in reverse. He does it in reverse. The, the woes where the, where the rich will receive their, have received their consolation. Those who are now full will be hungry. Those who laugh will weep. So, so several layers of this is what he's detailing before he says this. Still continuing with what seems like a paradox. Now we're going to back up to verse 27. And he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. One who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. For the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do, so, uh, would, would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? This is so profound. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. That's easy. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? That's easy. For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those for whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Fairness, right? Fairness. What does this mean? Does this mean that people who believe this should never have a need to call the police, right? If someone comes to your driveway tonight, steals your car, is this asking us to say, oh, well, there goes my car. I guess I'll just leave my keys to my other car in the driveway so they can come by and get that one tomorrow. Turning the other cheek. Is that what this is asking us to do, right? Is that what's asking us to do? No, of course not. If we decide we're not going to punish criminals for stealing. What are we eliminating? If we say, you know what, anything goes, we, we just, we'll just turn the cheek all the time. What are we eliminating if we do that? Say it again, I heard it. Justice. We're eliminating justice. 
Question, is God pro-justice or is he anti-justice? It's an easy one. He's pro-justice. He's pro-justice. First of all, I could detail a few verses in the Old Testament that speak specifically to the concept of justice. Uh, Exodus 21, 24, eye for an eye, right? right? God instructed his people to carry out justice. He told them to do that. He's pro-justice. So yes, God is a just God. But, but listen, God is not only a just God, he's perfectly just. You know, we, we as a society, we, we make our best attempts and do our best efforts to make sure that we, we have a level playing field from a justice standpoint. The scales of justice, right? But at best, we're, we're guessing sometimes. We're, we're trying. We miss sometimes. God, perfectly just. God is perfectly just, okay? God serves out the exact right punishment every time. If God decided to, to just let a few sins slide every now and then, I'll just let that one go. I'll just let that one go. You know what we would call that? We'd call that injustice, okay? And God is not unjust, quite the opposite. He's perfectly just. Every sin, no matter how big or small, must be dealt with according to God's perfect justice. He must apply the exact right amount of justice to whatever infraction it is that's been committed against him, okay? You see, when you sin, and when your sins, we say, are taken away, do they just vanish? They just go away? Do they just disappear? What happens to them? Justice is served uh, for your sin. Where does the justice uh, go? Where is the justice placed for your sin? Where, who, where does that fall? It goes to Jesus. It doesn't just disappear. It's placed on Jesus, okay? When we speak about forgiveness, yes, your sins are taken away, but, but they don't vanish. We also say that Christ paid for your sins. There was a payment to be made for the infraction that you committed against a holy God. Jesus paid for those sins, okay? So they don't vanish. They're still paid for. Well, well, that's, that's, that's not fair. That's not fair that, that they should go to Christ, right? I did them. Why should they go to Christ? See, we don't understand fairness like God does. We don't define it like God does. Fairness comes at the expense of someone, okay? Now, I tell you this so you know unequivocally that God loves justice, God demands justice. God is pro-justice. So, so these verses can't be telling us. When we read about turning the other cheek, when we read about giving up our, 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 uh, our tunic, even though we just lost our cloak, those verses can't be that God is against justice. That can't mean that. It can't mean that because God is beyond pro-justice. He's perfectly just. In the Old Testament, the book of the prophet uh, Micah, it's a fairly short book. Micah was a, was a prophet, and he prophesied against God's people. He was warning them so that, that they were, were uh, what they were in for. He was giving them a, a heads up. This is about 700 years before Christ, and during this time, the people were divided into two kingdoms, north and south. And essentially what Micah is saying to them, what, what amounts to, to bringing a lawsuit before the people of God. It's like he's, a, he's an attorney, and he's serving, serving papers, Right? He's indicting them for their sins and, and, uh, as, as their rival nations are about to carry out God's judgment on them, okay? So, so that's a little background just for fun, but, but the whole theme of the book of Micah has two layers to it. Where is it? These are the two layers, judgment and forgiveness. Two layers, judgment and forgiveness. The Lord, the judge who, who on the one hand, he gives his people over to their enemies, He's serving out justice, okay? But on the other hand, 
who gathers his people back, who protects them, and he forgives them. It's, it's both. It's both. And perhaps the most quoted verse in, in Micah is found in chapter 6, verse 8. And every time my mom used to play this song, you know, it was my mom up here in the front. She, she used to play this song. It was way before, I think, Christian you know, music, Christian rock music was a thing. But uh, it, was, it just goes to my head. He has told you, oh man, oh man, what is good and what the Lord... Does anyone know that one? Just me. One! I got one! One hand! Man, that's great news. Right. You didn't know you were going to get a concert today. <laughs> he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord what, uh, require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness. Do justice, love kindness. Okay, what is, what is God like? Does, does God like justice or kindness? Yes. <laughs> yes. Do justice, love kindness. This is what the Lord requires of you, oh man, this is Israel. Uh, often when you see that, oh man, in, in, uh, in the Old Testament, he's talking directly to his people. Oh man, this is what the Lord requires of you. Do justice, love kindness. I've heard Tim Keller call this a, a balance between the tough and the tender. Do justice, love kindness. Now maybe you're saying, well, well yeah, but that's, that's the Old Testament, right? Aren't things, aren't things different now? Aren't things a little bit different in the New Testament? And besides, it really seems like Jesus is saying something different. Like he didn't quite say, turn the other cheek if it seems like the right thing to do. He's just saying, turn the other cheek. It sounds like he's calling us to be passive. Let people do what they're going to do to you, and one day we'll get our reward, right? That's what Jesus seems to be saying, right? So maybe that's it. Is Jesus bringing something new? Maybe, maybe now Jesus is, is just calling us to be passive, that can't be what he's saying, because look at this. I love these examples here. When Jesus was put on trial, he knew. He knew where, he knew where things were headed. Okay? He knew, where th- he knew his trial would end with suffering and death. He knew this. Yet in John 18, after he'd been arrested, he's brought before the high priest. And when he's questioned uh, about his disciples and teaching, uh, Jesus said this to the high priest. I've spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers uh, standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Now at this point, the officer literally strikes Jesus in all likelihood in the cheek, right? Right? What should Jesus do? Is he passive? Not totally. Not totally. Verse 23. Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? See what Jesus is saying here? You did something wrong. This isn't justice. Jesus Jesus was protesting what took place. He wasn't passive. He pushed back. Paul does something similar in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are are thrown into prison as Roman citizens. And Roman citizens shouldn't be thrown into into jail without a trial. I preached about this last week at at Music Row. There There were certain things that made Paul the most perfect, perfectly made, unique apostle. And again, when I look at these things, I'm just I just I'm just I just marvel at how God just weaves all this together and it just works. 
Paul was a Jew of Jews, but he was also a Roman of Romans. He was a Roman citizen, which was really rare for a Jew. Okay, And it afforded Paul privileges that other apostles, that the other apostles didn't have. For one, unlike the other apostles, since he was a Roman citizen, he couldn't just be arrested and jailed without a trial. And that's just what happened. That's exactly what happened in Acts 16. When the magistrates then realized their error, right? they, they tried to just let him go and be done with it. Then this happens. This is Acts 16.35 and following. I love this. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates had sent word to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. And Paul said, thanks, and went on his way. No, he did not. Did Paul turn the other cheek here? Thank you for letting us out. It's all good. No damage done. Verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? You think they're going to quietly get away with this? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. They came out and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Now kindly leave. We've made an error. Right? See that again, Paul has the opportunity to be passive, to just turn the other cheek and be on his way. But no, he essentially tells him, oh no, oh no, you guys are busted. All right? You need to answer for this. I want, some, I want, a, I want a reckoning for this. See that turning the other cheek can't simply mean to be passive. When we read something in the Bible, this is what we do. We look at the other parts of the scripture to see what, what exactly it means. It's the clarity of the Bible. One passage interprets another. Okay, first of all, let's, let's make sure we understand what's being said here. What is turning the other cheek? What, what's that even in reference to? If you're wanting to hurt somebody, really physically hurt somebody, what are you going to do? Where, where are you going to hit them? Does the word cheek come to mind when you think about the cheek? What comes to mind, a punch or a slap? When you think about cheek, are you thinking of a punch or a slap, Right? I don't know if you've ever watched a, a boxing match. Uh, my grandfather used to be a bit of a boxer, right? But, but uh, you can imagine what movies uh, like Rocky would have been like if it were a slapping competition. <laughs> it, been, it wouldn't have the same effect, does it, right? Having said that, there are actual competitions where, uh, where, where people um, literally slap each other. They take turns one at, a one at a time slapping each other until the person gets it's knocked out. It's ridiculous. But, but that, that point aside, if you want to, talk, if you want to attack someone, if you want to knock them out, right, you don't do it with a slap on the cheek. Think about it. If you get slapped on the cheek, is it more of an effort to knock you out or is it an effort to damage your honor? Is a slap on the cheek meant to hurt you or insult you? What do you think? Insult. What Jesus is saying when he says, turn the other cheek, is something, yes, it is something very radical. All right, let's not downplay that. It's paradoxical. He's saying, my, my followers have to act to, to what's contrary to what's in the heart of man. He's saying that. He's saying, this is, this is contrary to what's in the heart of man. But he's also saying, it's not a dismissal of justice. But it's a call to lay aside your image, insofar as, as your ego is concerned. 
He's saying Christ followers aren't concerned about how they look from a prideful standpoint. Christ followers aren't concerned about feeling superior to someone who insults them. Yes, Christ followers feel strongly about justice, but they go about it without being vindictive or spiteful. Again, consider how Jesus and Paul uh, uh, protest, and you immediately realize what they're doing. There's no spite in their voices. They tell the truth. They speak up for justice, yet without any malice. See that? You see the difference? Now, given that, how do we turn the other cheek, specifically? How do we do that? Let's, let's try and come up with a, with a specific example. Let's just say my wife comes home and, and tells me, you are a raging idiot, okay? And I can say that because she would never, ever, ever do that, which is why I can use this as an example, right? What, she comes home and tells me that. What are my possible responses here? What can I do? Option one, I could insult her back, right? She hit me, I hit her back, metaphorically, right? What does that do? Who has changed in a transaction like that? Who is made better? Who, who uh, is being life-giving here? How, are we, how is either party made better there? Neither party's made better. Neither party's made better. In fact, you might say we've both died a little bit in a transaction like that, right? That's one possible response. The section op- uh, second option is I could just take it. I could just take it. I could look at her and, and, uh, and do what people usually think this verse means. I turn the other cheek and say, thank you, dear. I don't, I don't confront. I don't speak up. I don't complain. I, I just keep the peace. I could do that, right? I could do that. Yes, you're right. Perhaps I am an idiot which there's a great deal of truth to that. Uh, all, in the same, all in the name of keeping the peace. I just want to keep the peace. I just want to keep the peace. I'll just take it. Now, if I do that, everything's good on the outside for a bit. What's going on in the inside? I'm probably dying a little bit every day. Every time I allow that. And you know what? She's probably dying a little bit too. You can't do that. You can't allow that kind of behavior and expect that, that person to be growing. You can't expect that person to be, to be uh, uh, engaging in, in, in something that's life-giving if you allow them to keep doing that. They're both dying. Both parties are dying here. Okay? Take it back to uh, the idea of raising a child. Maybe you can see it a little easier. If I love my child, if I really love my child, do you think that means I let them do whatever they want all the time? That's the most destructive thing you could ever do. And I've used this before, but when you think about all the child actors that have, have, have been out there, that have, have, have risen to fame, they've gotten everything they've ever wanted. No one ever tells them no. And it's no surprise what happens to them. They, they spiral out of control because no one ever told them no. They just got everything what they wanted and they destroy themselves. So that can't be it. That can't be the answer. It can't be that, oh, just going to go along, just going to be passive just going to let them do whatever they want to me, that can't be the answer. That can't be it. All right? Love your enemies can't mean let your enemy do whatever he or she wants. It can't mean that. How could it be loving to let someone sin or let somebody continue to do evil? That can't be what it means. So there's a third option. There's a third option here. And the third option accounts for justice and kindness. That's the third option. That's the bill. Without being vindictive or spiteful, if my wife comes home and she says awful things to me, I can respond by saying, look, I love you. I, I love you and, you and your words are hurtful. I, I want to have a relationship with you. And if you want to have a relationship with me and you, and you want this relationship to flourish, you're going to have to stop saying things like that. A response like that accounts for justice and 
kindness, right? But do we see what's missing from this? It addresses right and wrong, but there's no concern for my image here. I, I can tell her she's done wrong. I can, address, I can address the wrong without returning the insults. You see that? You see, because returning the insults are only done because you hurt me and I feel like I, I need to hurt you back. You know, it's, so it's fair. So it's even. That's what's left out of this response. You see, with this option, there, there's a real opportunity for redemption here. I've told my wife, here's what justice and truth are. Now, now, now I'm, I'm giving you a chance to start over. If you're willing to change, then we can grow and love each other well. You know, I, I read at least one commentary that, that said the idea of turning the other cheek is rooted in the idea of, any guesses? Kissing. In this culture, you would approach one another and you greet one another with a holy kiss, right? And you give the one cheek to kiss and give the other cheek to kiss. And so what this is suggesting here is, is that when your neighbor, your, your brother, whoever strikes you on the one cheek, you turn the other to give them the opportunity to kiss your cheek. That's what turning the other cheek means. You hit me this time, now I'm giving you the opportunity to kiss it, to make things right, okay? Uh, that's what turning the other cheek means, to give the person the chance to kiss you this time instead of hit you. Does that make sense? Any thoughts or comments or questions on that so far? Because I want to talk about one more thing as it relates to all this before we, we wrap up. Any, any comments or questions or, or concerns or anything like that? Anybody? No, I know it's the first week back. We're all still a little out of sorts here, but please don't be, don't be even, if, even if I'm talking, feel free to raise your hand and, and, uh, and ask a question, okay? All right, I'm going to continue. Because um, what, what, uh, what's at the root of this idea? What's at the root of what we're talking about is forgiveness. And forgiveness can be a tough pill to swallow sometimes. And I know sometimes when we even talk about forgiveness, uh, it brings up some, it conjures up some, some bad feelings for a lot, of, a lot of you. I know that. I've talked to many of you. And with the time we have left, I want to discuss what forgiveness is and, and what forgiveness looks like. Let me try and define it. Let's break it up into two parts. First of all, let me ask what forgiveness is as it relates to our relationship with the Father. We talked a little bit about this already. What does it mean to be forgiven by God? We'll answer that first, and, and then we'll, we'll ask, what does it mean to forgive our, our brother, neighbor, or our enemy? But first, what does it mean? Someone want to just give me anything, as, it, as you understand it. What does it mean to be forgiven by God? What does that mean? Our debt's been paid. Our debt has been paid. Our debt of sin, our debt of sin has been paid. It's been forgiven. It's been let go. Anything else? Anyone have anything else they want to add to that? He's not going to hold our actions he will not hold our actions against us. Good. Anyone else? It's all good. Right answers. What is forgiveness? Peace. Peace between? Peace between you and God. Good. Good. When you, when you put your, your functional trust... In, in, uh, in Jesus, what is it you're actually doing? You're believing something. You, you realize that you're a sinner, first of all. You know you've done countless foolish things and failed on so many levels, but, but when you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe that he removed those things from you. You believe that there was a time when the Father looked at you and saw your sin and guilt, but now you believe that Jesus has removed that sin and guilt 
He's removed that from you. And that when the Father looks at you now, when the Father looks at you now, he sees righteousness, the righteousness of his Son. Again, remember, we, Scott mentioned this uh, just a bit ago in the service. So we've exchanged burdens. Our burden we gave to Jesus. Jesus gave us his burden, which is light, he says. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We get his, we get his righteousness. We, we give him our sin. Okay? That's what we believe. He sees the righteousness of his son in you, and you're forgiven. He's no longer at odds with you. He no longer holds something against you. And, and that happens immediately. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord uh, Jesus, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe this. Believe this. That, that's it. That happens immediately. That happens immediately. You, immediately you are justified when you believe this. This is why Jesus was able to look over at the thief on the cross and say, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Today. He no longer held something against him. Justification happens immediately the moment you believe. But there's another part to forgiveness here. There's another part. Yes, you're forgiven immediately. And, and that's, that's good news, but, but it doesn't leave you the way you are. No, he doesn't. From, from the moment you're saved, he goes about the business of changing you, and he'll continue to change you and mold you and craft you and shape you into the image of his son, and he'll spend the rest of your life doing that. Philippians 2, uh, 12 to 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in other words, God saves you immediately. You're saved immediately, but then he continues to save you in an ongoing manner. He forgives you immediately, but there's still work to be done. That's what forgiveness looks like from our Heavenly Father. Okay? So now, what does that mean forgiveness looks like between us? How does it work? Is it different? When we forgive one another, we should forgive immediately. We turn the other cheek immediately. We, we hold nothing over one another anymore. We dismiss the bitterness. We dismiss the ill will. But there's still work to be done. You see, just like we said a moment ago, it's, it's his will to shape you and mold you into the image of his son. To make you more and more like Jesus every day. That's what his will for your life is. If you ever want to know what Jesus is or God's will for your life is, that's it. Make you more like his son each and every day. We're walking in Jesus' footsteps. So the way we forgive one another should look a lot like the way he forgave us. John 13, 34. A new command I give you, that you love one another just as, just as, I, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Do it the way I did you. This is how I forgave you. Now, you go do likewise. So, if we're to forgive like him, what that means is, is when we forgive our brother, we, we, for, we forgive immediately. We forgive immediately. We dismiss the bitterness. We dismiss the ill will. We start over on a new foot. We turn the other cheek. But again, there's still work to be done. What do I mean by that? A lot of times we assume that we, it's kind of this cultural mantra, forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Okay? Forgive and forget is, is not how our Father deals with us. 
He forgives, but he still deals with the sin that remains. He forgives you from a justification standpoint. He's forgotten about it from that standpoint, but there's still work to be done. And he's not forgotten about that. The sin still must be paid for. And again, like we said a moment ago, but he still is at work in us to both the will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, he forgives. And then he sets out to restore, rebuild, and rework. So for us, when we forgive, yes, we forgive immediately. We forgive immediately. Then, to turn the other cheek is is that we we set out to restore, rebuild, and rework. 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 And sometimes, sometimes that takes a lifetime. That's forgiveness. That's built upon grace and truth. That's forgiveness built upon justice and kindness. You and I, we're shadow pictures. We're shadow pictures of Christ. We're walking in his footsteps. We're, we're identifying with Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for, for, uh, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. So in other words, while, while we were still his enemies, while we were still at odds with God, Christ died for us. So it, it shouldn't surprise us that he asks us to do the same things, and, and sometimes it may not even seem to make sense. Remember, our faith is a giant paradox. Just as we were detailing in the beginning, the rich, the rich have, has their con, uh, con, condolence, condol, con, con, <laughs> consolation. That's the word I'm looking for, right? We approach our relationship with people from a new perspective now, one that, that fulfills justice and loves at the same time, one that calls for, for emptying oneself for the sake of our friends, neighbors, and enemies. Does anyone have any further thoughts, comments, or questions on that, especially as it relates to, to forgiveness? Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about the comment this morning about Jeffrey Dower. He can be forgiven, but yet his penalty for what he did, he still has to serve that sentence. Oh, you mean for earthly speaking? Yes. Earthly speaking, yes. And I was also thinking about, like, uh, almost like when the kids were walking by with umbrellas, almost like that image of Jesus as the, mm-hmm. as the umbrella from our own sin. Uh, Dean brings up a good point. There's two, there's two layers to that. First of all, uh, he talked about the fact that uh, this morning in the sermon, uh, Scott brought up Jeffrey Dahmer and that, that uh, by his, his, the time he uh, uh, died, he, he, was, he was a confessing Christian. And, uh, and what, uh, what Dean is pointing out is that he still had to serve his earthly sentence, but from a heavenly perspective, his sin had been dismissed, right? His sin had been forgiven. And so again, this, this tells us the, the nature of God, the, that God is, in fact, a God of justice. And this is, what, this is what's fascinating about the Old Testament, too, is that, and, and uh, for, again, it's time to perform uh, Go ahead and do that now, because we're going to be studying this idea, the idea of, of these, these, uh, these characters in the Old Testament. I don't use the word characters. Figures in the Old Testament that always, everything, everything in the Old Testament points us to Jesus. And so even the way that, that God set up the, the Israelite uh, law, the way he set up the temple, the way he set up the sacrifices, all that points to, to Jesus. And he gave us laws back. He gave the Israelites laws back and say, this is, this is how you're to govern one another because it was all pointing us to something further down the road. So again, God is, is establishing this idea of civil government and justice. And yes, uh, we still carry out justice the way that he is just. But also at the same time, there's forgiveness to be had on the other side of, of earth here, where he no longer looks at you as a, as a, sin, as a sinner, but has forgiven you, has dismissed that debt. But again, not just so it vanishes, it's going on Christ, it's going on Christ, okay? Uh, great, great, uh, great comment. Someone else? <coughs> Your thoughts?
just that idea of compassion for the person, mm -hmm. but boundaries for the disease and mm -hmm. the rebuilding and the, and so, you know, finding forgiveness and working through that. That's another example that, you know, when you're talking about all those different places of, um, of how to find forgiveness mm -hmm. in those kind of situations, but also, you know, not being the doormat. This is, this is one of the great ways that this, uh, uh, this first place plays out and one, one of the exact uh, ways to apply it. This is a context of addiction, which, uh, which is probably people to hear that. And it's a great example. It's a great example because if, if, uh, if, being, if, if following this, this, this passage means to, to be passive, to be passive every time, every time that the, the, the person who is addicted uh, um, um, breaks your heart, every time that they, they do something to harm themselves. If we just simply are passive every time, what is that doing to the individual? Is that rebuilding the individual? Is that restoring the individual? Is it, what is that doing? It's destroying them. And so again, that's why I say that, that so often we look at this idea of turning the cheek as just simply being passive. That's not it. That's not it. There's a loving way for, for correction. There's a loving way for discipline. That's, that's what we do with our own children. That's what our Heavenly Father does to us. He doesn't let us get away with whatever we want. He disciplines us, not because he's punishing us. Not because he's punishing us, because he's molding us, and he's shaping us, and he's crafting us into the image of us. He's chipping away at us. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it feels like I'm, I'm getting a, a heavenly spanking, right, from the, from the Father who's, who's trying to punch me. But he's, that's, not, that's not what he's doing. He's not punishing me. Punishment's been settled. That's been done on the cross. The end. It is finished. Right? And so anything else that happens to me now, even though it may feel bad, it may feel like it hurts, it's for my good. It's because he's shaping me in the image of Christ. And we see that always that plays out in, in, the, in the context of addiction. That's, that's what's happening there. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts. Anyone else? All right. Great conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll keep going with these, uh, these hard sayings. And uh, um, I, I didn't even decide what we're going to do next week. I have an idea, though. Uh, and I'll let you know about it through email. Again, if you want to be on the email list, let me know. Or uh, send an email to Tracy and she'll so make sure you be on the list too, okay? Great having you here. And uh, uh, let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your uh, mercy, your justice, and your kindness. Uh, we thank you that uh, you didn't just leave it to one or the other. We thank you that you didn't just uh, uh, give us justice because if, if you were just a God of, of justice, uh, we would have nothing to stand on. Uh, we would all be condemned. We thank you for your kindness, your, your mercy, uh, that you gave us Jesus Christ who would take our punishment uh, so that we could be united with you, so that we could be in fellowship with you, so that we wouldn't be just left out. Uh, but you did both, Father. Help us to, to reflect that. Help us to be like you. Help us to be like your son uh, in our uh, transactions with our, our friends, our neighbors, our, our family members. Help us to reflect the kindness that you have given to us. But at the same time, Father, help us to always reflect the, uh, the truth that's in your word. We pray these things in the name of Christ. For his sake we pray. Amen. Thank you all.